0: Good morning, everybody. As you can hear, my voice is slightly um, not as it normally is. For those of you who haven't been here before, this is not how I normally sound, okay? But I believe strongly that God has something he wants to say to us today, to the extent where this week the enemy's been doing all that he could possibly do to try and prevent me from coming into his house today. But I was determined to bring the word that I believe God has for us today, Because one word from heaven, once you attract your faith to it, can transform your destiny. Whatever situation you're in, whatever situation you're facing, if you can allow your faith to grasp hold of what God's word is saying to you, you can transform anything that you are facing. The scripture says, I often quote, that heaven and earth are held together by the power of God's word. That is the power of God's word. When Satan tempted the woman in the garden, the first thing he tempted was what God said. He said to her, has God said? He sought to undermine the truth that God had revealed to her heart. And once he was able to undermine that truth and deceive her, he was in her hands. She played straight into his hands and everything he wanted to do through her in her husband, And so it's important that we hear what God's word is going to say to us today. Amen. I'm excited about God. I'm excited about what he's doing in our church. And I'm excited that Jesus is still on the throne. Guys, you know, sometimes you look at society, you see all the madness that's going on. God's not asleep. He's wide awake. And if we look at our Bibles, we can see the things and the signs of the end of the times, the end of the age. So all that we can see unfolding, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jesus spent lots of time teaching us in the New Testament about the things we were supposed to see. That's why Jesus said to watch and pray. And when he said watch, he didn't just mean watch YouTube, watch Instagram, watch the latest box sets. What he meant was pay pay close attention to what is going on and as a result of paying close attention to what is going on, we are to pray, we are to engage with God and with each other to find out, okay Lord, in this season, this, this season that I've been born into, this time that God has placed you in this kingdom, what is it you require me to do? What are you asking me to do? We're not supposed to bury our heads in the sand and just hope it gets better or just hope Jesus comes and takes us away. No, we are active partners with God to see what he wants to establish in this generation. In Jesus' name, can I get an amen? Amen. So, the title of my sermon today is this. What do you do when God is silent? What do you do? What do you do when God is silent? And I've got a little quote here and it says this. Throughout church history, and more importantly the Bible, Men and women of God have had to make sense of the seasons of God's silence. You know, there are times in our life where God is completely silent. Nada, he doesn't say anything. And those seasons have been sent by God to develop us. Unfortunately, in the West, at times, our concept of Christianity is about come to Jesus and everything will be fine. There won't be any pain, any hardship. That is a lie. Did you hear what I said? That's why Jesus went into great depths to explain the cost of discipleship. And my purpose here today isn't to beat you over the heads. My purpose today isn't to say, gosh, just how rotten we are. No, my purpose today is to preach God's word so that we can be set free. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, and I've read this scripture before. It says this. This is Jesus responding to a question that John the Baptist's disciples had asked him on behalf of John. And he said, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as some of you may know that know the background to this scripture. Now John had been sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, the messenger, the forerunner. And John had been faithful to the charge that God had had given him. And as a result of that, John was in prison. So some things didn't quite add up. Because after all, he was doing what God had asked him to do. And so he sent his disciples to say, Are you he who is coming, or should we look for another? And Jesus says to go and tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And then he ends it by saying this, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 10 <clears throat> and this is Jesus talking about the signs of the times and the end of the age and it says and then many will be offended will betray one another and will hate one another and again that issue of offense comes up again one of the things that the enemy seeks to use to undermine what God wants to do in our life that seeks to undermine or shortchange God's training and preparation for the role he wants us to play is through offense. Now very often when we think about offense, we think about you hurt me, you upset me, you hurt my feelings. And that's a very valid form of offense. However, in this context, Jesus is saying, blessed is he who is not offended because of me, talking about him. And then in another place, as he's talking about the signs of the times and the kinds of things that we need to be aware of, the things we need to watch and pray, again, he says that many will become offended. And so very briefly, we're going to look at a few characters in the Old Testament who had to deal with times in their lives where everything around them seemed to be falling apart and God wasn't saying anything. Have you ever had a season in your life where it feels like literally your world is falling apart and no one's coming to give you a word? You read your Bible and it's just looking back at you. It's just dry cracker. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like worshiping. You don't feel like doing anything spiritual. It's part of God's training. The first person we're gonna look at very briefly is Job. And you know, sometimes we hear about the patience of Job, and we kind of can, we have, there's a danger of us relegating it into like a children's story, like, I don't know, the Pied Piper of Hamlet, where the, you know, the town was um, covered with rats, was it rats or mice? Rats. <clears throat> and then he came, and he said, if you give me this, if you pay me this amount of money, I'll play my pipe, and as I play my pipe, all the rats will come out. And so the town mayor and everything, they give him the money, he plays his pipe, and all the rats follow him out of the city into the river. Then he says, right, now give me my money. And they say, no, we're not gonna give it to you. He says, right. He plays his pipe again, and all the children follow him, and that whole town loses its children. Now it's a very entertaining story. And yeah, there are some moral lessons we can learn from it, but we know it's not real. It doesn't have much of an impact on us. But let's consider Job, if you will. The Bible says, in fact, let's turn to it, Job chapter, Job chapter one verse eight. (coughs) You can hear me okay, yeah? Good. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, that God could say that about you? that God could say that about me. Have you considered my servant Olu? There is nobody like him. Paul said all men seek their own. That there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Job was living for God. He was doing the right thing. He was honoring the Lord. And then God says to Satan, have you considered him? And as we know, the account. Through this season, Job lost everything. And just, just, excuse me, right? Just pretend this is real, all right? Because you know, sometimes we think, oh, let's just pretend this is real. This is actually God's word. There was a human being, a man, there was no one else like him on the earth, okay? And because of his commitment and his devotion to God, he lost everything. First of all, I'm gonna try and stick to my notes this time because last time I was awful, I was all over the place. So I've, I've got me notes, are they up there? We're good to go, so if you put it up there, point number one. Okay, so number one, he lost, all oh right, see, I've made it sound more fancy up there. I'll put something a bit different here. So I'll, I'll use the fancy expression. He lost his tangible expressions of a success. So basically, the scripture says that he lost his livestock. He lost his camels. Now, to you and I are camels. That, okay, great. But remember, these are people living a nomad lifestyle. They lived in the desert. So a camel was of such tremendous value. He lost everything that when you looked at him, you could say, yeah, this man knows where he's going. Yeah, this guy is a success. Yeah, this guy, he, 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 he's taking control of his life. He's a man of purpose. He's a man of destiny. He lost everything. Imagine, I mean, this will not happen in Jesus' name. Imagine you went home today and your house was demolished. Your car. You went to your bank. Might not be anything in there anyway, but let's just say there's money in there. It's all been withdrawn. Everything you own has been destroyed. And then it didn't stop there. He lost all of his children. I mean, guys, let's just think about that just for a minute. I remember when the Lord took Uriah, The pain that we felt as her family but even more so, her mother. Okay, so let's get this in perspective. He lost all of his children in one blow. And still, God didn't say anything. He lost all that he owned from thieves. He lost his livestock, including his camels, which, as I said, were of significant value. And he lost all his children. That's not the normal course of events. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. Children are supposed to bury their parents. And they were all gone. But look at Job's response in Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell on the ground and worshipped. I mean, are you crazy? What do you mean you worship God? He just lost everything. Some of us, we lose lose 100 pounds. We're ready to turn to say, all right, God, if you're serious. What do you do when God is silent? Why does God allow these seasons in our life where all this madness and confusion is happening? but you can't hear what he's saying about it. You can't hear his perspective on it. You don't know who to blame or what to blame. God is just silent. The scripture says that he worshiped God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. Olu, please help me with the time. And the Lord Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. It didn't stop there. In Job 2, verse 7, we then find out not only did he lose everything he owned, not only did he lose all of his children, he then lost his health. Job 2, verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Have you ever had a boil? If you haven't had one, they're really painful, yeah? And no matter how gently you're thinking, where have I had boils? I had some on my face, okay? I know you get them in other places. But I remember I couldn't even lie on my pillow because it was so tender. And I'm sure the kind of boils that Satan inflicted on this poor chap wasn't one of those little boils. He was covered in them. And the Bible says, and from the from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, I mean, the worst I can think of is chicken pox. When you get chicken pox, you get them everywhere, even on your eyeball. I mean, on your gums. They, you know, he was covered in boils. This poor man. Verse eight. And he took for himself a potsherd, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Verse nine. Then he's, what foolish. I mean, his then his wife said to him wise, hey, wives, we need to be careful how we counsel our husbands in times of pressure. Sailor. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? What's the point? You still going to honor God in the midst of this? Curse God and die. What on earth? Are you still going to hold on to your integrity? What's the point of you honouring God? Look Look, my children are dead. Everything we own is gone. And now look at the state of you. Just squash this. Just curse God and die. That's what she said to him. In times of intense pressure, in times of intense pain, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. We're talking about how do we handle it when God is silent. And it's quite interesting. I, I wrote this message about three or four months ago. And one of the people who I wanted us to look at in detail was Joseph. But obviously, Joe's been doing such an awesome job on that, so I'm not even gonna cover that one because he's doing a splendid job. Because there's something about the enemy being able to get us in those seasons, if we're not wise, if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, the enemy will use it to take us out. He'll sow that seed of offense towards God and just begin to water it and he'll step back and it might take one year, it might take five years, it might be ten years, but eventually it will grow so big that by the time you stop serving God, it's not like you stopped serving God last week, you checked out Eight, ten years ago because of the disappointment you felt when you felt God should have come through and he didn't because there are times where you feel like God should come through and he doesn't there's a time there are times where you think God you need to stand up and vindicate me because I look like a complete prat at the moment because I'm honoring you and he doesn't what do we do in those seasons do we trust God and honor him do we maintain our integrity Or do we behave foolishly like Job's wife? We curse God. We might not physically say it, but in our heart we draw back. In our heart we decide, you know what? I'll serve you, God, in all these areas, but this one, let's just leave that one alone. That one's going to be a no-entry sign for now. But that's not how God does relationship. It's all or nothing. He gave everything. And so when he says we're to give him everything, he, 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 he's, he's done it first. When God is silent, be careful who you listen to in times of distress or discontentment. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 says this. And beloved, I am preaching to myself as much as I am preaching to you. So please, let's not get it twisted. Let's not think I'm up here telling you something because my life's just perfect. I've got everything going on. Do not be deceived. If the scripture says, do not be deceived, it says it because there is a tendency or there is a vulnerability to be deceived. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. We're talking about when God is silent. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 16. How am I doing for time, Olu? Olu? Sorry about making notes. Just keep me on time. <laughs> Thank you. Is that funny? <laughs> okay. Here, the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging is encouraging the people. In chapter eleven, he's talking about faith, and the reason why he had to go into such detail about faith is because. You know, sometimes in this Christian journey, we can lose our way. We can forget, we can lose the plot. We can get our focus distracted from the whole reason why we got saved in the first place. And so, and then we can face challenges and situations. And so here, the writer to the Hebrews by the Spirit of God is talking going through the whole hallway of, of Hall fame, fame of Hall, Hall of Fame. Thank you. Do you know what? I haven't had any coffee today because apparently your milk's gonna affect my throat. So, you know. And I say, coffee should be Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus, but I like coffee as well. Okay, Hall of Fame is that right? That's the one. Okay, and he says this, and it's quite interesting. In verse fourteen, before he says this, he says this: Pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Esau was starving He was in distress. What good was his birthright when he was hungry? He placed such little value on the eternal, on the spiritual, that he allowed his natural feeling, his natural inclination, his natural desire to cause him to make a choice that completely ruled out his opportunity to have what was his God-given right. Proverbs 6, verse 1. And it's so important that we really ground ourselves in God's word. Because I'm telling you, beloved, as the, as the days go on, you know, Jesus spoke about the false prophets, the wolves in sheep's clothing. And we often think that it would be obvious to, to spot a false prophet. But it really isn't. You know, Paul says, even Satan himself is dressed up as an angel of light. False prophets don't come with a hunched back and a pointy nose and say, ah, oh, I'm a false prophet. It doesn't, it's not like that. They're normally slick, very personable. You kind of like what they say. They've got a charisma about them. But what they do is they undermine the essence of what God's word teaches. They undermine the difficult scriptures. Look, honey... There are loads of scriptures. If I could take him out of this Bible, I would. But I can't. Because it's not my word. It's his word. Do you understand? I don't serve God on my terms. I have to serve him on his terms. Proverbs 6, verse 1. Oh, that's the wrong scripture. Let's go to the next one. Verse 19. Proverbs 6, verse 19. All right, yeah, okay. It's verse 16 and verse 19, not 6, sorry, 16. Listen to this. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. That's pretty strong language. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 19, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Be careful who you listen to in times of distress and discontentment. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, it talks about the accuser of the brethren which is obviously Satan. And an accuser is a prosecutor. And that's someone who presents a case based on fact or not, and sometimes a subjective interpretation of the facts. The enemy accuses us to God. The enemy accuses God to us. The enemy accuses us to others. And the enemy accuses others to us. Galatians chapter 5. When God is silent and your world is falling apart, you must guard your heart. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Number three, still looking at Job. He lost the godly support of his friends that should have had his back. So it's bad enough that he has suffered all this misfortune. Now his friends, who should have had his back, who should have been there for him, who should have been giving him emphasis, godly support, they inadvertently were basically saying, well, you must have done something wrong. This has to be your fault. And if you read through the book of Job, they were a nightmare. Honestly, friends like that, who needs enemies? Seriously, I'm going to go into cockney now, sorry. You know, when I get really comfortable, I start getting all cockney. Right, in Job chapter 2, verse 11, now listen to this. <clears throat> the scripture says something which really um, jumped out at me. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Each one came from his own place. Friends come with their own issues, their own experiences, and their own baggage. Rehoboam David's son in first Kings chapter 12 the children of Israel were gonna follow him as king and he took advice but they said before we decide we're gonna follow you tell us what kind of king you're gonna be so he went to the elders and they advised him they said if you behave if you treat the people this way and you do this then they'll serve you and follow you and then the Bible says he went to his mates who he grew up with and asked them they said what let them know who the boss is just, you know, let them know that you're gonna take charge. So he came back and he told them who the boss is. And they said, oh, really? Every man to his house, oh, Israel. Where could have been the king. But he listened to stupid advice. One of the things I like to say, when you get advice from people when you're in this season, look at the fruit of their life. The Bible says, by your fruit, or by their fruit, not by their bank account, not by how big the house is, not about how popular they are, the fruit. And so his friends came and they began to advise him. And when people advise us in these seasons, discern what is helpful and what isn't. Because those people can offer you advice and they mean it out of the goodness of their heart, but it's really bad advice. So probably you should, probably shouldn't take it. And this is awesome. Because you know, Job stood his ground. He stood his ground. He maintained his integrity. He was in pain and he cried out to God. But he maintained his integrity. Look at what the scripture says in Job um, chapter 42, verse 7. And so it was... After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. He lost everything, but he maintained his integrity. He didn't have a clue what was going on. All hell had broken loose in this man's life, and God was silent but he stood his ground. He stayed true to what he knew regarding God. And in the end, God vindicated him. Hebrews 10, verse 35. And here he says this, therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. Beloved, don't cast your confidence in God away. It has great reward. Don't cast away your confidence. I like what Mike Bickle says. He says if you lose your confidence in God, it's like losing your compass in a storm. Because you know when you're in a storm, you can't see where you're going. You have to trust that compass that is gonna take you to the right place. Because in the storm, Visibility is almost zero. You don't know if you're going to crash into a rock, if you're going to crash into another boat. But the compass will keep you steady. The compass, even though you can't see, you can trust that compass. If we lose our confidence in God, it's like losing your compass in a storm. Don't cast off your confidence in God because it's not misplaced. It's not foolishness. I tell you, beloved, the things that we think are so foolish in this world are of great value in God's sight, and the things we place such a premium on in this life, when we get to heaven, we'll be, we'll be embarrassed. We'll be so ashamed. We'll think, oh my goodness, what a wasted life. All that time I was chasing that thing because I thought it was so important. Very quickly. Let's look at Saul's response to God's silence. I'm going to whiz through this. Now, as we know, God had called Saul to be king because the children of Israel wanted to be like everybody else and wanted their own king. God was always going to give them a king, but not yet. But now they refused to wait. And in the end, God gave them a king. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines and they were terrified, okay? They were hiding, you know, Um, So let's jump into 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to 9. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to 9. Okay, so number one, when we're considering Saul's response to God's silence, The pressure of an external situation brought out of Saul what was really inside him. When God is silent, the pressure of that situation very often serves to bring out of us what's really inside of us. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offerings. Now, as a king, he wasn't allowed to offer burnt offerings. And God was very strict about rules and regulations, about priests and Levites. So he completely violated God's clear principle in his word. Jesus said it's not what's outside a man that defiles him in Matthew chapter 7 verse 18 to 23. But it's what's inside us. All the pressure does, all the situation does is bring out what's already in. In James chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 it says, Don't let anyone say when they're tempted, Oh God's tempting me because God can't tempt with evil. But it's our own lustful desires that come out. And lustful doesn't always mean sexual. It just means a strong inclination or a strong pull towards things. Number two, he was given the opportunity to rebel and dilute God's clear command. Talking about Saul's response to God's silence. So number one, the pressure of the external situation brought out what was already in Saul. Number two, by God being silent, it gave, the, it gave Saul the opportunity to rebel and dilute God's clear command. There are some things we say, we'll never do that. I could never do that. But you'd be surprised what you'd do in the right situation or the wrong situation. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. What on earth? I mean, seriously. If Samuel had come just a moment earlier, then Saul would never have done that. And there's times when God delays the answer and delays the promise on purpose. But it's whether we're willing to maintain our integrity and wait patiently. Number three, he looked like he was losing out by being obedient when God was silent. He looked like he was losing out. First Samuel chapter 13, Verse 11, the second part says this. When I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. I'm trying to honor you, God, and the people are scattering. And again, coming back to in the garden. When the serpent beguiled the woman, and he said, has God really said? No, don't be silly. What God really means, if you do this, if you don't do this, you're going to miss out. Everyone's going to overtake you and pass you by. Why are you honouring God when no one's looking? Why are you honouring God in the secret? Why are you switching that off when you know you need to switch it on? really you want to watch it? Number four, he made it about him and what he wanted, not about God and what God wanted. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, we have the account of the Amalekites when God made it very clear. He was to destroy all of them. All of them everything, every living thing, destroy them all." And then when Samuel turns up, he says, oh, you know, nice religious language. Our religious language might fool people in church, well really it doesn't. We might smile and nod, but it definitely doesn't fool God. Our religious acts of service when the real issue, we're dodging. God had his own reasons to destroy every single living thing of the Amalekites because he said kill them all. Even children, he said kill them all. Don't keep anything. It's like, but God, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Romans chapter nine. For some of us who have a problem with some of the things God tells us to do, good luck with that. Romans nine, verse 20. I sell that thing a long time ago. Okay, I've got a problem with it. And your point is, seriously, the breath in my lungs doesn't even belong to me. Don't think (laughs) because he loves us that we can manipulate the man Christ Jesus with our temper tantrums or our behavior. Like Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? Romans chapter nine, verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? God has his own reasons for keeping silent. And it's not nice. It's not comfortable. It's not like, oh, this feels so warm and fuzzy. I'm trusting God, I'm walking by faith. I'm maintaining my integrity in the face of opposition, in the face of ridicule. In the face of scoffers, it's horrible. It's nightmare. It's it's awful. You feel like such a plonker. Do you know what I mean? You think, oh man, shameful. It's. But if that's what he's told you to do, you have to do it. If that's what he's told me to do to do it. Like Jesus said, will you too, will you also turn away? And they said, but Lord, where will we go? you got the words of life. There are some decisions we make at key seasons of our life that change the course of our destiny forever. I'm not talking about every single day, every single season. Oh, Lord, if I don't have, if I don't put on the red shoe, does that mean? No, I'm not talking about that. No, no, no key seasons and these seasons don't come about every year or every month these are you know, maybe three four times in our lifetime we have these key seasons where God is trying to form something in us key seasons and decisions we make at those key seasons can change the course of our destiny forever if you can come and speak to Esau, speak to the woman in the garden, speak to Saul, speak to David with Bathsheba. The scripture's full of them. The choices we make matter. Speak to our brothers and sisters in Syria who've been slaughtered for their faith. And let's not forget Joseph. We've looked at Job, looked at Saul, and the last few weeks we've been looking at Joseph, and I'm sure when Joe comes back we'll continue to look at him. Obviously you'll be looking at him whilst he's preaching, but I mean, as you know, I mean the character. So what's the solution? What should we do when Father is silent? Number one, do what you know to be right in light of God's word. Do not violate God's principles. Do what you know to do is right. I may have quoted this before. In case you don't know, I like listening to my Yeah, He said, 90%, Ninety percent, not all, not all listen to me, not all. OK? this is just a generalization. Ninety percent of Christian counseling is trying to convince Christians to listen to obey the Bible. Because a lot of the times, not that we don't know what we should do, we do know. There are certain situations where we haven't got a clue. I'm not talking about those. Do what you know to be. Right in light of God's word, do not violate God's principles. Very quickly, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. How am I doing for time, Olu? Okay, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he was a son, and he's talking about Jesus, I mean, you can't get a better son than Jesus, really, can you? Can you? Can you? No! Though he was a son, yet learned. Yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. What are you talking about? What do you mean suffering? What? Are you having a laugh? This is Christianity. This is Jesus who comes to the captives free. What on earth are you talking about suffering? Suffering is part of our Christian experience. Suffering is part of our Christian journey. Is part of it. That's why Jesus said, Pick up your cross. Picking up your cross doesn't mean wearing a nice gold medallion. Nothing wrong with gold medallions. They're beautiful. They're lovely. But that's not what he's talking about. A, a cross speaks of something of, of, of shame, something of pain, something of self denial, something of humiliation. Remember, when he died on that cross, he did not like a success story. Seriously, he looked like a complete failure. Many of us would have left that ministry from time because he's not serious. He saved our his, he can't even save himself. But that was exactly where God wanted him. Through the things that he suffered, the scripture says. Now please, I'm not talking about when we inflict suffering on ourselves. Please, there's a complete difference to that. I'm not talking about where we willfully go and make choices, make decisions, and we think we've gotten away with it, and then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 10, 15, 20 years later, it comes back to bite us on the leg. I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about where we're seeking to honor God, we're seeking to do the right thing, and these things happen, and God doesn't seem to be saying anything. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. And let us not grow weary well, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In due season, in due season, beloved, this, this life, this life that we're in, is but a vapor, it's for but a breath. I know we think it's all about the here and now, but this is, this is nothing compared to eternity. This is but a whisper. Thank you. OK, let me go back to my notes. Okay, do what you know to be right in light of God's word. Number two, now I kind of messed up the notes a little bit, so please forgive me here. Guard your heart from offense due to disappointment. Guard your heart from offense due to disappointment. It's very, very easy for your heart to become offended when you're disappointed. I'm gonna have to rush through this. I'm really sorry, guys. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. Number three, admit and have the courage to admit your offense and disappointment. And that's something that us as Christians find really hard to do. Very few people say, I'm offended. I didn't like that. I don't like the way you said that. I'm not comfortable with that. We use any other word but offence, because offence is like, oh my goodness, you're a Christian, you got offended. But have the courage to admit that you're offended at God, because a lot of the times it's a smokescreen, because the person we're really upset with is the man upstairs, but well, he's not really upstairs; he's in here. If we've given our life to him. Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, pour out your heart at all times. Be encouraged, he wants to hear it. Don't hide it and pretend that you're okay when actually you're not. Pour out your heart at all times. As well as admitting our offense or our disappointment to God, we need to admit our offense and our disappointment. Remember I was speaking to one person about a situation and they asked a very pertinent question, which basically was tantamount to, to So, did you do this with your eyes wide open as a Christian? That was the essence of it. There's nobody here, okay, no one here. Or in Seal of Greenwich, there's no one here. Not even in this country, so stop trying to figure out who it is. And they said, I knew exactly what I was doing, but I didn't care. Didn't want to get any kind of godly advice because I knew what they'd tell me. People did try and advise me. I gave them the real sign of victory, not literally. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> but in essence, in their attitude, that's they were like, "Whatever, do what I'm going to." do. You know, there are some decisions that we make, some things that we do, and it's got nothing to do with God. It's our own. It's our, own. it's our own doing. But we have to have the courage to admit, I messed up, man. I remember once, not once, I remember recently, I'm going to try and keep this as vague as possible. It's no one in this church, okay? Nobody in this church. I was in some kind of association with somebody for a number of years, and a lot of stuff went down. And just recently, they took me one side, and they said to me, Aisha, I'm sorry that I handled you. It was wrong. And at first I wanted to rescue. him and say, oh, no, 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 we both did things. He said, no, no. And I thought, actually, no, no, he's right. He was wrong. <laughs> but that spoke volumes to me because that showed me this person has actually repented. The fact he had the courage to come and put right what he'd done wrong. And there's some of us, we need to have those kind of conversations as part of our repentance. <laughs> he said to me, will you forgive me? I said, of course I'll forgive you. got some scriptures there proverbs 18 verse 17 psalm 32 verses 3 to 5 and proverbs 5 verse 12 to 13 um i haven't got time to read them they're in the notes so feel free number four commit your soul to god and trust him trust him i know that sounds so cliche trust god but seriously 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 you have to trust him you have to trust his leadership on your life you have to trust that he knows what he's doing even though it hurts like hell even though you feel like giving up even though it makes no sense you have to trust him in hebrews it talks about our confidence having a great reward honestly oh guys if we could just see the other side no i haven't been there and i haven't seen it but As I look into God's word, if we could see the other side, the value that our faith on this side of eternity, how God boasts and says, look, in the midst of all this, she still honored me. In the midst of all this, he still sought to put me first. Jesus said, but when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? In Luke chapter 18, verse eight, talking about the prayer of the widow. And the unjust judge, but that whole that that chapter is part of a larger discourse when he's talking about the things that are gonna happen at the end of the age and how his people are gonna respond. Because there are gonna be things that if you're not grounded in Christ, you will lose your faith. You know, and at times, it's like the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, she came to Jesus. No, Lord, help my daughter. You know, she was really freaking out, and he turned to Mount said that she was a dog. It's not a very nice thing to say to someone coming in for counseling. But she was so desperate, she got over herself and cried out to Jesus anyway. And Jesus rewarded her for our faith. And you know, if if you and I have certain things, we say, as long as this doesn't happen, I'll serve God. Or if this ever happened to me, I'll never serve God. You know, those things are going to happen. They're going to happen. So that if you want an opportunity to stop serving him, you will. But if you're serious about serving God, like Job said, yet though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. And then things don't come cheap. (coughs) Number five, the final thing to do, the solution. And this is probably, for me, I think this is the hardest one for me. The ones that I've listed might be other ones for you that you find harder, but personally for me, The solution when God is silent is to press in even harder, even though it's the last thing you feel like doing. To press in even harder. Um, In 1st Samuel chapter 23, verse two, David said to God, shall I rescue Kelilah? Basically, Kelilah was a town that was about to be um, destroyed. In the chapter before because of a lie that David told the whole priesthood had been murdered and it was all David's fault okay got anyone killed lately one person two person two people whole priesthood were killed because of David in chapter 22 and then chapter 23 an opportunity arises where he and his men could help deliver a city and the Bible said he inquired of the Lord. Surely you need to take time out, David. You need to heal. But he had to find out from God. What was God saying? And there are times where everything in you wants to pull back. And God's saying, no, press in. The last thing you want to do is pray. The last thing you want is to do is talk to God. The last thing you want to do is come to church. The last thing you want to do is be connected with God and his people. But that's the safest place for you to be in. And finally, Philippians chapter one, because I am out of time. Philippians chapter one, verse six. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work, it's a good work, it's a good work. It might not feel very good, but it's a good work. In you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen.